Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 37. Today we're going to be talking about some baby digestive health stuff and Mongolian spots. But first, some updates. Justin, how's it going? Uh, Things are okay here. Really only two updates of note in the house this week. We've had our first haircut, not for the baby, but mom's first haircut. Ooh, nice. Uh, And I think you guys, well, I should say your wife did this a few weeks ago. Um, Mm. You know, long hair takes time to wash, takes time to dry, gives something for the baby to grab onto. So you might as well get it out of there. Plus it's summertime. So Mm. um, my wife went for broke and she got the short 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 haircut so now officially our baby has the longest hair in the household wow like how short did she go like i'm gonna use some gel and spike it up or is it still like a bob kind of it's like in the it's more in the gel and spike it up range um it's not quite a crew cut she's gone full crew cut in the past um this Hmm. time it's a bit a bit longer than a crew cut, but it is uh, very short and it's already like paying dividends with saving her a lot of time. Um, just like what I was talking about before, just basically showering and uh, drying off and getting ready to go out. It's just a lot faster. Yeah. Um, there's an SNL skit. Uh, I forget the exact title of it. Everyone can look it up, but it's like these um, women at a baby shower. And then you suddenly realize all of the women at the baby shower have the same haircut. And it's, <laughs> cut and then the new mom has long hair and then suddenly like magic her hair just becomes the mom cut (laughs) so i think our wives have gone into mom cut territory now which i respect because anything to you know save time and get stuff done more efficiently i like it yeah especially with summer here now the hair just adds to sweating and just discomfort i was a big advocate of moe getting her hair cut a couple weeks ago and I think she's pretty happy about it, too. Yeah, I think they both look fantastic, might I say. I I haven't seen Ayumi's yet. I've been interested to see. So, but I'm sure it'll look great. Yeah. Uh, the other big update around here is we started down the path of introducing food to Nico this week. Ooh. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, in Japan the first thing they recommend usually is what's called okayu, which is like you Mm. could in English call it a gruel or like a very thin porridge, which is rice uh, that is really, you know, liquidy and uh, mashed up a bit. But Mm. then for baby okayu, you're supposed to go 10 times as liquid as regular okayu, which is already pretty liquidy. So you're getting down to a watery paste of rice pretty much. Mm then you only do it once per day and the baby can only really handle like a, you know, a, an adult size spoonful of it, which you spoon several times with the baby spoon. Uh, so then you're thinking like, well, do I have to cook this in a tiny, tiny amount every single day? <laughs> That's not the way to go about it at all. Of course you make a regular, like small portion of Okayu, mm-hmm. but the baby version, then they sell actually what look like ice cube trays and you pour the okayu into these little uh, mm. cube, cube looking things spe- uh, specifically made for this and then pop that in the freezer. And then every day you take a cube out and heat it up and try to spoon that into the baby's mouth. Nice. Uh, we've done it three or four times now. And um, it's 
it's just mind blowing for the baby and the taste is not like, you know, baby is only used to one taste and that's milk. And then suddenly there's a new taste and the kid gets like a crazy look on his face. He's frowning. He's confused. He's spitting it back out. You have to spoon it back in. So it's really almost more of an exercise in just this is how to eat. And it's not about the food itself or the taste of it. It's more like eating practice because the baby doesn't seem to enjoy it. And the baby's just confusedly, you know, chewing and spitting it back out and taking it back in. So I was curious, you mentioned like you call it gruel, Mm -hmm. but I've always heard it called porridge. Is there a distinction? (laughs) Let's let's uh, dictionary.com it right now, my friend. Oh, okay. Um, I look up words constantly. I'm obsessed about this stuff. Porridge, the definition of porridge, a food made of oatmeal or some other meal or cereal boiled to a thick consistency in water or milk. Okay, so it's more thick and it usually has oats. Yeah. So you wouldn't call rice porridge. I don't know. I bet there's something out there called a rice porridge. That sounds, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Sounds like Anytime I've had okayu in the past and I've looked it up, it always comes through as porridge. Okay. Well, the uh, definition of gruel here on dictionary.com, it says a light, usually thin cooked cereal made by boiling meal, especially oatmeal, in water or milk. I think Hmm. the reason I go to gruel is that my wife has Hmm. looked up okayu before and found the word gruel and then she started saying it. Uh, Though it's very like Charles Dickens, you know, punishing food it sounds uh, the, terrible it sounds pretty awful i mean there's the word <laughs> grueling it rhymes with cruel it's got a lot of bad associations but uh might as well call it not though yeah oh my goodness <laughs> low blow from mark uh but i guess gruel it does say a light usually thin um that's true made by boiling meal so maybe porridge is a bit thicker and gruel is I guess thinner. So. and in that case i mean okay what we feed the baby is thinner than gruel. It's like a, mm. a watery substance, but yeah, it's um, just the kid figuring out how to deal with a spoon, I think is pretty much it. And he's not enthusiastic about it. Maybe if it were like really delightful and sweet, he would be uh, chomping right. away on it. But as they always say, start with the bland foods, get them used to those so that you don't start them with the sweet foods and then they refuse the bland foods later. Right, that's true. Uh, so it's kind of how you have to go about it. But it's, he's kind of, um, I think nonplussed is the word here, right? Nonplussed as in he's so utterly shocked that he gets kind of a blank <laughs> or weird expression on his face. Like, what is <laughs> happening? And uh, he doesn't look enthusiastic about it, that's for sure. Well, that's good. That's a good start. Yeah, yeah it's underway. We, uh, for our update, we had our four-month checkup, and they also gave us that that little book of gruel and the directions on how to make it and put it in your little ice cube trays and portion it Mm -hmm. out. We're not at the stage of actually trying it yet, but we, we have it ready to go. That's good. Locked and loaded. Yeah. Our four month checkup was, uh, it was pretty good. It seemed, uh, there's more babies in this town than I expected. Honestly, I was expecting like four or five. Mm-hmm. But there was there was quite a bit. They had us all staggered at different times. Mm. And it seemed like there was always a cycle of a couple babies coming in. And we had about 10 in the room at the same time for our little co- cohort. 
Mm-hmm. And I even saw another dad in there. Holy God. I wow. know. I didn't see a dad at ours at all. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it was just me. Everybody else, it was one mom and one baby. Wow. Shame. But I guess uh, that goes with the percentages. Yeah. Well, <laughs> did you notice anything just seeing your four-month-old-ish baby lined up next to a bunch of other ones? Yeah, he's well, he's still kind of young. Because yeah. like, he was, I think three months and maybe just about or under two weeks at the time because his birthday's end of the month. And so they just kind of group everybody who had a birthday in March together and Mm -hmm. and his is the last. So, but surprisingly he was one of the biggest or I guess Mm. unsurprisingly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But everybody else seemed pretty much on the same level. Like there was one little girl who was like doing tummy time like a pro, just mm-hmm. head up the whole time, ready to crawl. Another kid who wouldn't have anything to do with tummy time, who just laid there. So <laughs> it was a pretty good balance. Yeah, that's good. It's um, it's interesting to see how your kid stacks up, and you never get to see a cross section of right kids exactly the same age as your kid until yeah. you go to the big four month or, uh, and it's an assembly or something of for four month old kids it's crazy to see them all side by side like that mm. yeah it is nice to kind of finally get a gauge for how he's doing it at his level he yeah. uh we we use a mat at home for his mm-hmm. tummy time and so it's a pretty soft surface and coda has a tendency to like just suddenly drop his head and kind of smack his face on the ground mm-hmm. but here it doesn't hurt him because he yeah. it's got that soft surface but we had him down for tummy time there and it's just, they just put these like floor squares together over what I assume is just like a hardwood surface. And then they put a towel on top of that. So it's really not soft and he's doing tummy time and then just drops his face like he normally does here, but you just hear this like thud and then like, (laughs) I feel bad, but he just lets out like this God awful scream. And I, I really don't hear out of him much, but he was just surprised at how much it hurt, I think, because <laughs> he's like used to like the soft sponge that we have at home. And it was uh, it was terrible. I felt bad. <laughs> yeah. I've had that uh, only against my own collarbone when I'm holding Nico uh, you know, vertically. And then sometimes, especially if he's a little sleepy, he'll kind of like smash his head down into your mm-hmm. chest. And he's cracked his nose or maybe forehead <laughs> across my collarbone, which I guess is kind of protrusive. <laughs> I'm scrawny. And uh, <laughs> he he cracked it at least three times, leading to a cry afterward. Uh, but it, the cry doesn't last. He kind of gets over it in five or ten seconds. I think it's just the surprise, you know. Oh, no, this was a good cry. This is one of those oh, cries okay. where, like, his mouth and face is just in the position, but no sound is coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was very hurt. Yeah. Ooh, those are the suspenseful ones. Yeah. You know, it's coming. Other than that, it was pretty good, pretty quick. They just, you know, do quick checks. You go around to the different stations, get his height, weight. The doctors do like that lift up test, see how his head is. They said he's, his head's not quite, as strong as some of the other kids, but that's probably because he's not as old. Mm -hmm. So they want us to actually come back in another month and do another test to, to see how his neck strength is doing then. Mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, it's kind of a side issue. Something I would be interested to learn is, does anyone opt out of these checkups? You know, like in the U.S., there's a huge movement to, I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to take care of my kids my way. And then you, uh, this seems like the kind of thing where it's like, I'm not letting the government look at my baby. Mm. And then you would have a certain number of people who would just say, no, thank you. I'm going to pull out of it. But in I Japan, would assume only if they're a foreigner. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if somebody wanted to opt out of it. I wonder what would even happen. I mean, I don't know. I've probably talked about it here before, but mm. I have a long history of passing out at when I right. blood work. You know, any yeah. blood is lost, I will pass out. And many, many other terrible things happen. And uh, for our health check at work, once you turn 35, a blood draw is part of it. And mm. so I, on the first one, first time after I was 35, I was going through the line and doing all the health check stuff. And I got to that point and I was like, I, I just can't do this. I'm willing to do it if you're willing to have me pass out on the floor and <laughs> you know, like if you're willing to rush me to the hospital or whatever you have to do, then uh, let's go for it. But if you don't want to do that, then I probably shouldn't do this. And it created so much chaos because nobody opts out of things or right. I had opted out of it, but without the proper protocol of like contacting several steps up the ladder, getting it approved, getting people notified. I just in the moment said, I'm not going to do this. And uh, it, um, it created a lot of chaos. And then afterward, I remember getting a note or someone talked to me at my office, a uh, staff member talked to me and said, you have to get the blood work done. You have to do it. And um, like, you know, you can set it up later, do it at a hospital, bring your results back to us or whatever, huh. but you have to do it. And um, I remember having the thought, like I didn't push it, but I was like, well, what if, what if I just said, no, do you fire me? Like, what do you mean I have to do it? Yeah. Like, is so, that part of your job description? I don't know. Well, I think it comes down to in Japan, it's like a company of a certain size is required to offer the health check to all of its employees. And then if an employee is not doing it, it's like the school itself is violating the government mandate or the law that says it has to do that. So um, it's hmm. it's a weird thing, but the school would kind of feel like they're in violation if you don't do the thing. So then they really force you to do the thing. But I was like, do I get arrested or like, do we get fined? What do you mean I have to? Yeah. But I didn't really, you know, it also could be like a, a bit of a lost in translation. Maybe they're just saying have to in a stronger way than what they actually intended. I didn't go down right. that road. But um, it's just so common in the United States that people opt out of stuff. And in Japan, it doesn't happen. And I wonder yeah. what occurs when somebody is like, I'm not doing this and I'm sticking to my guns. I bet there's no a lot idea. of, uh, yeah, I bet there's a lot of under the table paperwork. And I don't know, it's, it's I, I'm not the type of person to go that hardcore against something, but. Uh, not that I would. I liked the four month checkup and I'm happy to hmm. do the health check at work. It's more about I just don't want to like vomit all over the place while they're trying to usher through a hundred <laughs> people through the health check line. I don't right. want to be responsible for that kind of chaos. <laughs> Anyhow, um, that's all I got for updates. I have one more update and actually um, we surprisingly already got our social security number for CODA. Goodness, they told you a month, but it ended up taking like a two week weeks. or two. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Crazy fast. Got the yeah. card, everything. All fine. That's amazing. That's way ahead of schedule. That's good. Yeah. I I even expected it to be a little late. They tell you like four weeks. You're like, it's coming from America. You're dealing with 
an American agency, like I was like, okay, well maybe September I'll see it. But mm-hmm. they were good. I got it quick. That's surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Very surprising. We've talked about it before, but any interaction with the U S government or an agency, it's just so hit and miss. Uh, it could take you, I don't know, things could go smoothly. Things could be very contradictory. There could be dead ends. Uh, you can't really trust it, but it's great. That's social security card came. Yep. And then, uh, <clears throat> next step is figure out how to set up a whole college fund thing and yeah, see what I want to do with that. Sounds like an episode of the J pops to me. Yes. I don't know how soon. Well, that's all I had for updates. Um, if you're ready, can head over to Segmenton. It's segment time. Uh, do you want to lead us off with your Mongolian spots? Yes, I will. Um, <laughs> how insulting. Uh, the Mongolian spots. This is something that I heard about from you a couple of months ago. You asked, and me I if- totally forgot about it. And then he forgot what it was. Uh, you asked me if Nico had a Mongolian spot, and uh, I had no idea, so I had to look it up. Hmm. And to save the suspense, the Mongolian spot is essentially uh, like a slate gray or kind of a blue-gray spot that appears on a newborn baby and can last several months, up to a year usually. And the location is always like lower back maybe on the butt maybe a bit to the side or even up to the shoulders but somewhere on the the back and hind quarter area of Hmm. the baby Uh, so when you asked me about it i hadn't noticed it before so i i think i just said no or i've never seen it anyway Hmm. Uh, by the way they can be like the size of maybe a a coin um, or even a bit bigger or there could be multiples Hmm. so they kind of vary in appearance Uh, And it's totally benign. It's not anything other than just some uh, like extra melanin that's collected in a lower level of the skin. uh, And then it it dissipates as time goes by. So there's no real trouble with the the Mongolian spot in and of itself. It could indicate something else, but the Mongolian spot is fine. So um, I realized that our babies were born in the winter. And in, in the winter, like you have very few occasions to have your baby nude for any period of time, you know, because it's like, you've got to layer them up with clothes in your poorly insulated home. And you've got to, uh, you know, you get them into the bath and they have to lay on their back in the bath. And then you're not seeing their, their back for any amount of time. Then you lay them down on their back again into the diaper and then dress them. So I was just never seeing his back really never seeing Hmm. like his naked back. Interesting. Uh, and it was maybe he was two or three months old. I realized he did, in fact, have the Mongolian spot. And his is maybe cool. lower back onto his butt a little bit. And it's a very light uh, kind of slate gray color. And it's probably the size of like a half dollar. So huh. maybe the size of like the 500 yen coin or a bit bigger than that. But it's pretty faint. So it's not too noticeable. But it is gotcha. larger than some I've seen before. So um, when I noticed he had it, it sent me into looking it up a little bit more. And um, it's not, like I was saying before, it's not any kind of a big deal. So there's not like a medical um, requirement of something you should do, or you don't have to go to a doctor. You don't have to you know, research it at all. It's just something normal, like a little birthmark that usually goes away. But the interesting thing to me was that it is 
not predominant among Europeans, but it mm. is predominant among basically everyone else in the world. And um, this oh, is interesting. This comes from the information compiled on Wikipedia, but it says uh, they occur in 80% of Asians, 80% hmm. to 85% of Native American infants, um, hmm. approximately 90% of Polynesians and Micronesians. Uh, then it says about 46% of children in Latin America. So you're talking about half there. But then uh, for babies of full Caucasian descent, it's only 5 to 10%. So... Um, wow. Oh, and then I should say too, African American babies have the Mongolian spot at frequencies of ninety to ninety-six percent. So oh, basically, damn. for like every type of demographic in the world except for white people, it's hmm. half or way more than half, almost to the point of you know in the high nineties it could be. So uh, yeah, it's just it's not known to us, I think, usually because we're white right. and our families are white, and they're like we've right. never seen it on any of our brothers or sisters or anything. And uh, plus it goes away when the kid's young, so you don't have much chance to see it anyway. But yeah, this is something that white people don't know about. But then yeah. according how to long, research, How long does it stick around? Um, it varies. It said that usually within the first year of life it will go. And then if not then, at least by the time the kid is reaching puberty, it's gone. And then in very rare instances, it would stick around for a person's whole life. Crazy. But um, it's very, very rare to say. So it, it's usually just this kind of very temporary birthmark on the back or butt of a of an infant. Gotcha. It's interesting to think about, you were saying, like, what groups of people kind of have this. Mm-hmm. And then think about, like, like the, the migration of, of humans over the generations and where they come from. Because it kind of sounds mm-hmm. like it follows that, like, Asian migration yeah. to which then crossed over into America and then down into South America. Yeah. And it sounds like that's why like a lot of those demographics have it versus like the European who just went maybe straight up from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, exactly my thinking on it. And this all comes from years ago when I read guns, germs and steel. But yeah, as Mm. you said, you know, the cradle of human life is like sub-Saharan Africa. And then Mm. people, sort of came out of Africa either up north and got into Europe or uh, branched off to the east. And then, you know, through the the Middle East, obviously, China, Mongolia, and then up through Alaska over the Bering Strait and then filtered down through. Uh, so it's like the half of humans who went east, like featured mm-hmm. the Mongolian spot and the half of humanity or less, I guess, that went uh, more north into Europe didn't have it or it wasn't expressed. Right. So uh, I thought it was a little interesting as to what the thing actually is. Um, It's uh, first of all, Mongolian spot is like a misnomer, but it's one of those things like, you know, calling Native Americans Indians or something that it's just that's the name that they started with. And then everyone said it for hundreds of years. So uh, there was a um, a doctor in Japan, but he was he was a German guy. and this is interesting in and of itself, but his name was Erwin Balls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just point of clarification, the Balls, it's B-A-L-Z. And the uh, the A has an umlaut over it, which I think makes it pronounced like Bales or something. But I, I can't really say it. So I'm just going to call him Erwin Balls because it's a lot funnier. Yep. So 
Erwin, uh, Mr. Balls, they called him, he was a German doctor and he uh, worked with a Japanese exchange student in Germany at one point in his life. This was in the 1870s, I think. And through this Japanese exchange student, he sort of made a connection to Japan and he was quite a good doctor. And so he got an invitation to come to Japan and maybe give a few lectures or, you know, work on a temporary contract or something. So he did that, came to Japan. He ended up settling down in Japan, married a Japanese woman, I believe had children. Um, And he got all the way up to uh, working for Emperor Meiji. Uh, like, and he began wow. teaching at the University of Tokyo and, um, or sorry, uh, the Medical College of the Tokyo Imperial University. And he worked, uh, I mean, he was the personal physician to like several prime ministers and to the royal uh, or the imperial family. And he was like quite an important guy. And I read that he was also of the sort of foreign people who came into Japan and worked with the imperial family. He was the longest tenured of anyone who came over to like share, you know, like Western, you know, technologies or medicines or whatever it was. He worked hmm. and stayed here longer than anybody. So um, this is how the sort of white world, this, you know, white German guy, this is how they became aware of the Mongolian spot because one of those guys came to Asia and worked here for hmm. an extended period of time. So as he would see babies, he noticed that a lot of them, according to the research, you know, 80% of Asian people have are born with a spot. Um, he's kept seeing it in the babies. And then he was the first guy to write it up for like, you know, Western research, basically. And uh, he was working with a Mongolian population. Uh, people, I, I don't know if they were descendant uh, descendants from people uh, from Mongolia or if they were actually Mongolian themselves, but he was in, in Japan. Japan and, though? You know, Oh, okay. Yeah, in Japan and working with uh, some people of Mongolian heritage. And that's when he noticed it the most. So that's why he called it the Mongolian spot. Hmm. Although it's featured in Africans, Asians, right. Native Americans, like Latin Americans, everybody has it. But he just thought it was, oh, it's these Mongolians. So <laughs> if you wanted the more, um, I guess, accurate name. You could call it the slate Ball gray spot. nevis. The ball spot. <laughs> a ball spot. Uh, it's called the slate gray nevis, or it's called congenital dermal melanocytosis. I've seen uh, pictures but, of this before, and it looks like a bruise on the back. Yeah, it's actually sometimes mistaken for uh, like child abuse or you know some sort of domestic violence mm-hmm. because it does look kind of like a dark bruise and especially if you had several of them then it could look like uh you know aggressive like you were grabbed in a very strong manner as a little baby right. or something and it left some like fingerprint kind of bruises on the on the baby so uh, sometimes it does get misreported as some kind of um like domestic thing hmm. but um yeah it, it has a real bruise look to it actually yeah let's call it uh it annoys me when people say like indians but they mean native americans because it's like right. just get over it. They're not Indian, like they're Native American. So I'm going to switch over from Mongolian spot, even though that's the the most common name for it. I'm going to start saying slate gray nevis, slate gray nevis, slate gray nevis. Doesn't have quite the ring. It really doesn't. I'm sticking with ball spot. Okay. Well, this is the (laughs) other great thing about Mr. Balls is that, um, Uh, This is according to Wikipedia and his legacy. Uh, It says, I'll just read this um, 
I'll just read this little paragraph here. In 1883, while staying at the Fujia Hotel in Mianoshita, Hakone, Balls noticed that his maid's hands were chapped. He made a mixture of glycerin and water for her, which was later sold widely in Japan under the name Balls Water. <laughs> so he did a few things. I mean, he found the ball spot. He, he could have it, called it like anything. Balls juice. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go. Balls cream. <laughs> you're going for anything better, but no, you're going for anything worse. I would, um, I would say it's better, but you know, it's better. He <laughs> also, it says here, uh, he was a fan of judo and he's credited with introducing the sport of judo into Germany because at a certain point he left mm. Japan and, and set up shop again in Germany. So he sort of brought Japanese culture back, but I'd never heard of this guy and he's no. like, uh, you know, famous in many ways, I guess, as being one of the early cultural crossover guys between the East and the West, at least as far yeah. as Japan is concerned. So, everybody look up Irwin Balls. Um, go down to the <laughs> Kombini and ask for Balls water. I don't know if they still sell it. But, uh, yeah, the Mongolian spot or Slate Gray Nevis, if you see it, maybe don't worry. It's just a weird little interesting thing that happens to the majority of the world, just not white people. For my contribution to the segment today, uh, <clears throat> we noticed this week that Coda just suddenly didn't poop for an entire day. Mm. And he actually went for like 48 hours without pooping, mm -hmm. which caused us to kind of, you know, go into the books and try to figure out what's going on, if he was okay and everything else. And it turns out <clears throat> he was just fine. This is kind of normal baby development. After like a certain period, like the digestive tract kind of develops a bit more and then pooping slows down to even like not happening daily until like they start eating like solid foods more. And so I went to the what to expect book and uh, they had some helpful information. It says for breastfed babies, constipation is rare, but fewer than one poops a day in the early weeks could mean your breastfed baby isn't getting enough to eat later on though around six weeks to three months, the rate could slow down to once a day or even once every two or three days. So it's pretty normal. And I think just part of the process, uh, I read on another website as well, more about it. They say some babies two months and older poop once every day or more often other babies poop once every few days or even once a week. And Whoa. even if your baby is pooping less frequently, they should still have a big poop that's kind of soft and easy to pass when they do. So it's mm -hmm. more about like how healthy it is when it happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had said a little bit in the what to expect book and I was surprised to learn that, you know, I would have thought on the liquid diet, the baby would be pooping, you know, three, four times a day or something. And then that, that right. does happen. But uh, they said, yeah, oh, your baby hasn't pooped in two days. Don't worry about it. And yeah. that really <laughs> took me by surprise. I would have thought, you know, such a change uh, yeah. between, a, you know, one healthy kid's pooping three or four times a day and other healthy kids not pooping for two days in a row. It seems like right. it shouldn't work that way, but it does. And that's one of those surprising things. I guess it's good to not totally disregard the poop schedule, you know, be aware of it. 
uh, and that it, it could indicate something has gone awry. But in general, it's anything goes, I guess. Yeah, I think it's more about like coloration and consistency. Those are your your key things to look for as far as health goes. Mm-hmm. I read another interesting thing, though, about it. Uh, this is from a site called parenting.firstcry.com, which mm-hmm. I'd never heard of, but it had a good, good information. So uh, they say, you may be tempted to give a morsel of food to your baby when you have your meals. However, if your baby is less than six months of age, this may not be a good idea. This is because no matter how eager or ready your baby may be, his digestive system may not be ready or prepared for the same. Your baby's body will not be efficient enough to produce the enzymes to digest starch in the food until he reaches maybe six months of age. Hmm. It says also bile salts and lipase, which aid in the digestion of fats, do not reach maturation until about six to nine months of age. So be careful what types of foods they're getting. And then by four to six months of age, your baby will have what's called an open gut. And this gut will allow the whole protein to pass from the small intestine into the bloodstream. This will also aid the antibodies of the mother's milk that get into the bloodstream. However, if large molecules of food and other pathogens pass through, it could lead to allergies and infections. Hmm. So there's some danger to kind of rushing a baby to to eat some solid foods. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, that the baby's body is going through these phases in the digestive yeah. tract in terms of what it can process, what it can't, what it'll allow through, and then is the baby's body even, you know, uh, healthy enough and mm-hmm. um, mature enough to handle what the digestive process might then pass through. So I guess the timing does turn out to be very important. Yeah, I think that's why they tell you to kind of dilute the the rice so much mm-hmm. because then you'll only get like micro amounts of starch. And then yeah. if, if, it, if your baby's not ready for it, it won't do so like any damage while it's there. It's just more passing through. Yeah. Uh, I should also say, since we've been doing the, you know, that first step of solid food with Nico, I asked my wife and I've tried to look at it myself is there any difference in the diaper situation and mm. it, there's zero difference like no change so far oh that's uh, good I, I guess it's just one say like tablespoon size or one like ice cube size worth of um, mm. uh, of a very very watery rice paste and right. that's not enough to to give him like any more solid or different colored uh, poo in the old diaper uh, still right. looks totally the same as always yeah, I noticed when we went to that checkup that they said when you do start introducing food, like you're not supposed to replace the milk. It's more just supposed to be a, like a, an addition. So mm-hmm. feed the regular amount of milk, whatever you're doing, breastfeeding or bottling, but then just throw in these little bits of food on top of that. Mm-hmm. That so. makes sense. And the kids are growing all the time and they can use the extra calories. I think... Um, we read somewhere, my wife read that in the fifth to sixth month that the kid could take down 200 milliliters of a bottle. Mm. And up until this point, I would sometimes make like a 140 or something. But just to mm. look at 200 milliliters, it's like, that's like half your size, child. How's this going to fit into you? It's crazy. But We started uh, making 160s. Oh, really? Goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. He didn't either. <laughs> yeah. So the, they can handle it. Yeah. And it makes sense that if you could layer in some extra food on top of the milk, you know, they're just eating and pooping machines. So yeah. they will gladly take it. Mm, definitely. Well, that's all I had. I did. This might be boring, but I want to go back to slate gray Nevis or Mongolian <laughs> spot for just a second. There's one thing that I looked up that I didn't mention. Um, just a little, little footnote here. Uh, I was curious as to how it actually comes about, like scientifically hmm. what's happening in your body that gives so many people this little dark spot on their back. Um, and it turns out that it's from embryonic development, like from the very beginning, hmm. uh, you know, the cells are differentiating at that time and becoming, you know, bone or becoming, um, you know, uh, in this case, what are called melanocytes, which are cells that contain melanin that are going to mm -hmm. go throughout the skin. And um, some of those, like in an embryo, different types of cells are migrating around the embryo to, you know, mm -hmm. start forming different parts of the body. And there are frequently uh, a group of melanocytes that just get trapped as they're moving around in embryonic development. So it's mm -hmm. like this, um, relative to other skin cells, it's a high concentration of melanin in these, uh, well, it's a high concentration of melanocytes, I should say. So you've got like this excess melanin and then it just gets trapped between a couple of different layers of things and then just sticks there. So, uh, but at like a rate of 80%. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I and guess then it's like 0% for Caucasian people. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's crazy. just one of those weird physiological things. Uh, and it comes from the very earliest stages of uh, embryonic development when you still have stem cells and they're like just differentiating into different things. Hmm. So it comes from even that early. But uh, yeah, it's definitely congenital and it's just um, that's where they wind up uh, as the embryo develops. Then that little spot they get trapped turns out to be the back or the butt or somewhere, uh, you know, sides or shoulders or something. And gotcha. it's, you know, always within that range. Anyway. Thus ends my uh, footnote on hmm. Slate Gray Nevis, the Mongolian Ball spots. Ball spots. Let's do... My question for you is... Sure, let's do it. Yes. Today in MQFYI... Uh, <laughs> Such an obvious name. I don't know why we've never used that before. <laughs> it's a beautiful acronym, McQuiffwe. Uh, so I've got a little, a little tail, a little yarn to spin, a tail okay. to tell, and that'll lead into my question for you: Is um, uh, just yesterday or the day before, I thought, you know, there's all that like infant entertaining like book sort of thing like that you have which is mostly black white and red and it's shapes and images and stuff that kids are supposed to be able to see more easily and wrap their minds yep. around and i thought there must be youtube channels that are just that stuff and you can just oh. get your kid to like watch the video um so i like to read to Nico, but in the last couple of weeks, he's been less tolerant of me reading to him. You know, he wants to be more entertained and play with more stuff or be on the move a little bit more. I think in his early months, he just sort of lays there, but yeah. now he's, uh, he's up and at him. So I was like, I want to read to him, but 
maybe if I can f- get them focused on something else, then I could spend the time reading. And I thought, I'm going to see if there are any of those videos. So just with a very quick YouTube, I found um, a couple of channels. There's one called Hey Bear Sensory, and there's another one called Tiny Adventures TV. And they take exactly that sort of stuff that you have. It'll just be shapes Mm. that will appear and disappear and move around the screen. And the videos will be like 30 or 40 minutes long. And they'll play different classical music scores behind it. Um, Hmm. And it's not like kids like sing song stuff. It's not numbers one, two, three. It's not ABCs or anything. It's just shapes coming and going in high contrast colors. And you feel like did I get just get brainwashed? Like, what am I watching? This is the craziest yeah, thing. Thinking, this sounds like brainwash. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was in the Illuminati after I watched it. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> so uh, I I watched, I, I had it on, and it was uh, pretty nearly baby hypnotism because yeah. it's like they like to look at those images, and now you've put them on the screen, and you've given it background music, and the baby's just like, oh, yeah, this is the good stuff. This is my favorite TV show. Wow. So, I happened upon those, but then it immediately set me down the path of worrying a bit that now I can, you know, get my kid to watch, not solidly, but he'll sit through most of the 30 minute or 40 minute video and just kind of check it out. And crazy attention span for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, he would, you know, he would occasionally look off other directions, but it would always catch his attention again. And they change the shapes and they change the colors. So it's Hmm. like always something new to look at. The songs change after a few minutes as well. So I think uh, it was pretty much baby catnip, like they've distilled it down and, and the kids like it. But that makes me worried because there's the risk of now he's seen the the crack version of the shapes and the colors. Now, does he want to go back to like a picture book or mm-hmm. is he going to, you know, if we do that every day, is he going to become accustomed to like the movement and the engagement of the TV basically? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, uh, what do you think about whether it's for babies or not for babies or whatever, but just TV exposure, do you put a hard limit on the time or do you face your kid away or do you even worry about how much TV he's taking in? At this point, I don't, I don't worry about the duration so much just because like I said, like his attention span isn't there to sit Mm -hmm. there for like hours and just watch TV. Mm -hmm. So mostly I put it on for like, English exposure at this point or just something to like kind of help entertain him when my arms are too tired to hold something above his head anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think at this stage, I think it's still good. Even as to maybe a year, I think I'd, I'm still okay. Yeah. Interesting. Is that a daily thing like <clears throat> several times a day or what's the frequency? Um, no, nah, maybe, maybe once a day. We don't put any YouTube really on. It's all just Netflix. And there's a show we've found that seems interesting enough. And he seems to enjoy it's called Peppa Pig. Mm -hmm. And so we've started putting that one on. But I think it's still like high level show made for maybe toddlers and above. But he seems pretty entertained by it for at least like 10 minutes. And the episodes are, are short. They're like five minutes. So it's real easy to just put one on. He watches it for a second and then, then you're done. Yeah. 
something I'm always concerned about. Um, I had this conversation with a coworker of mine years ago. Uh, she had just had a kid and um, she said that, you know, the kids basically say a year old or a bit less, mm-hmm. a bit more, I don't know, around a year. And she said, even at that time, she would hand over the cell phone to the kid anytime that he wanted it. And she's, oh, no. she was doing it because she said, we're living in the era where these kids are digital natives and yeah. his job is someday probably going to connect to, you know, uh, either computers or smartphones or social media or something like that's, you know, how everything te- seems to be trending. And yeah. so isn't it great if your kid feels fully native with that stuff and it's all intuitive to him from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was not holding back even smartphone usage. And then we had a discussion about like, yeah, some smartphone usage is just like mind numbing games and stuff. And then they get sort of addicted to the constant flow of entertainment. And then that can't be good for their attention span. So it's definitely Mm. like some stuff could be positive, but it can easily get into negative territory as well. So it's probably something you have to be very judicial with. But in general terms, I'm just sort of leery of anything that's too entertaining and too flashy even at this age, because I don't want the kid to get that in his mind as the standard of what's going to entertain me. And then all else is boring now, you know, and TV could easily become one of those entertaining things, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think I will ever go to that YouTube channel that you went to. Uh That sounds terrible. But also, I'm never, I'm not going to be using my own cell phone. I hate people using my cell phone for anything uh-huh. if people uh-huh. ask me to let me borrow their cell phone like my cell phone i'm instantly no yeah like there's too much shit on my phone it's got like everything about me there's all my passwords all my banking stuff no mm. absolutely not and then my kid who has no idea what any of his fingers are doing when he touches the screen hell no i'm not gonna let him just paw <laughs> this thing <laughs> yeah but i am gonna set up a device for him as Mm. early as I can so that he does get comfortable with it. Cause I, I do agree with your friend, like becoming a digital native in this stuff as early as possible is really important. And then Mm. maybe even down the road, get into programming or, you know, whatever, some, something like that, then it's very, it's a very easy step. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds uh, like it'll, you know, be a bridge into that world for the kids. Um, And it's a world that I'm, like that uh, world of like kids cell phones for example that's something i'm mm. totally unfamiliar with and i do have a friend who's got a kid i want to say he's elementary school age and the kid has a kid's version of a cell phone which is like very limited features yeah. but it's basically if the kid is somewhere and needs to call his parents he can do that uh and my friend told me like yeah he just keeps calling the police though <laughs> <laughs> It's like elementary school age. You'll just push the cop button and uh, then the cops will have to call through to the parents and like go through all the rigmarole and everything. So there's like even emergency Man. stuff like that is going to get already on a first name with the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not great. Uh, so he's a, already a troublemaker prank calling the coppers, but there's so many things to navigate with that. I don't know what's available. I don't know what the majority of parents are doing and, <clears throat> I I would also like to read up on it in terms of research that's been done, like Mm. have any adverse effects in terms of attention span and uh, 
I don't know. Yeah. If you have no attention span, then how are you going to do well in school, for example, when you have to sit and study a boring book for a long time? So it well, makes it depends me... if you're studying in Japan or somewhere else. Yeah, I Japan think the methods still have... are very different. Yeah, in America for sure. these days. Yeah, we'll still be in Japan, I'm sure, and he'll get <clears throat> you at your school. Like, none of the kids have their own devices in class, right? That's not part of curriculum. Is it? Uh, no. Every kid at the college gets a, an, a like a laptop for one thing. So oh, they do just from the very beginning. They have a laptop, and especially since coronavirus happened, and you had to plan a lot of online lessons. Even if you're doing something in person, you mm. probably have a more online component. So as of say 2020, when coronavirus kicked off, it's almost like they need their laptops in class no matter what. Right. Uh, because you need them to get through that those digital assignments. And then um, every kid has a smartphone these days. And mm-hmm. because like translation stuff is kind of most convenient to do on a smartphone, in the language class, kids have their smartphones out as well. So I would say it's like in a lot of classes, it's 100% of kids would have a computer and smartphone when they're in English class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't that way even a few years ago, but that's how it's trending for sure. Wow. I wonder if that's trickled down into like the high schools and well, they don't really have junior high. Yeah. The junior highs here and stuff, if they get devices now. Yeah. Cause I, I know, know in America, I have some friends with kids in schools and they have their own personal devices, even in like junior high. Yeah. I remember, um, of course, when I was a kid, it was just whatever your family could buy or afford or whatever and then you wouldn't Mm. really we had computer rooms in the schools and you would everyone would migrate to the computer room and use the computer uh and i remember when i was graduating college as i left then it was the next group of kids coming in as freshmen received in their orientation materials a thumb drive Uh, i don't know how many megabytes it was but i was like man i just missed the boat i could have had a thumb drive the and, uh, megabytes on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where the technology was catching up to, like, you know, when I was leaving school myself. But then my youngest sister, um, who's 17 years younger than me, I think she got issued a laptop in high school. And that's been now six or seven years ago. So mm. things have changed there for sure. Uh, I don't know about Japanese schools and how quick they are on the uptake with introducing the technology. Couldn't say. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, let's uh, head over to old Japantown. Japantown. Japanese of the day, or Jotdi, as they call it. Uh, Let's see, Japanese of the day, just a couple of easy ones that I pulled off a list here. Uh, We were talking a lot about a appointments you know the the four-month checkup and stuff um there are two good words in japanese for medical stuff like this there's kenshin kenshin is a checkup that's pretty simple and then there's another word which is shinsatsu and Mm. shinsatsu is a medical examination slightly different and like more focused on you right um and interestingly, you'll notice the shin in both of them, the kenshin and the shin satsu. And that shin is the same kanji, which um, it's funny that shin kanji shows up in another in a verb, which is miru, and that means to examine something. 
Uh, so it's another one of those like Japanese is so confusing that miru that we know means to see or to look, and it's a different kanji. But then there's a different miru, which means to examine. So like to see and to look, to examine, it's sort of the same word, sort of not. Uh, and then, by the way, miru, that mi, becomes a shin in checkup and medical examination. So this is sort of the web that is Japanese. But all that aside, kenshin is checkup and shinsatsu is medical examination. Do with those yeah. as you Excellent. Thank you. We've got a little bit of time left for some dad jokes. Hi. Ready? Of course. How many have do you couple. have? Just the two. Okay, I got two as well. <clears throat> well, I can lead can... us off. Hi. This one actually ties back to another dad joke that you told a while ago. Oh. So, see if you can, you can remember that. What do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? Uh, a stick? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I might have heard that before. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Such a good joke. All right. This one's really, really dumb, which is why I like it. Uh, where did Napoleon keep his armies? I'm probably not thinking about this dumb enough. I don't know. Or did Napoleon keep his armies up his sleeveys? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I love that. That's stupid. Uh, oh. That's great. That's pretty great. <clears throat> All right. What breed of dog can jump higher than a skyscraper? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. None. Skyscrapers. <laughs> can't jump or i guess okay. i should say any dog skyscrapers can't jump okay <laughs> uh, yeah yeah yeah. good call <laughs> when you said wait 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 well, yeah it could go another way too what which breed of dog can jump higher than a skyscraper can't none jump yeah <laughs> no no dog can jump over a skyscraper yeah <laughs> take the blunt way out okay this one uh I remember the first time I saw a universal remote control. I thought to myself, well, this changes everything. Uh, <laughs> have you told that one before? That's kind of familiar. No, no I have not. That's a good one. <laughs> I liked it. Well, uh, let's do one announcement. We've got an announcement. Of we our do have an announcement. That we yes. need to make. We're going to do a little transition here. Um, for a number of reasons, but we're going to transition into an every two-week format with yes. the J-pop. So you'll be getting slightly less J-pops in your life. We're sorry. <laughs> big, big sigh of relief from the audience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, for a number of reasons. One is that as the weeks go by, the kid changes less and less you know they get into right. their routines and things become a bit more stable and standard so um we have talked about this before in the past that yeah you know as time goes by maybe there's less cause for us to be researching things all the time and that's certainly been the case with me mm. um, there's just less to look up and then less to talk about so i think if you're following the j-pops along with your own kid you know uh being similar ages you'll just feel like more of a pro you'll have fewer questions and then that's the boat that we're in so maybe you can get by with just 
a J pops every couple of weeks, you know, solving all your problems. <laughs> and uh, another thing is I'll be traveling to the U S and that's going to throw a big monkey wrench into the, the old schedule. So hopefully this will take the pressure off if we can't always get right around to it. And thirdly, we are both now dads in the full swing of things. And uh, you've gone back to work. I've moved into a new house. And my yeah. God, if it isn't busier now. Yeah, being back to work full time has taken quite a chunk out of my ability to have free time in my life. So mm. uh, it's been tough. And then I also started taking some extra classes as well online. So that's another chunk of free time gone. And yeah, just got to balance things. Yeah, so we are taking our foot, not off the gas, but we are releasing some pressure on the pedal. Right. We're going down from a full 100 miles an hour to a, a coasty 50. That's what we're going to do. And um, I guess it, it takes effect immediately. So after this episode, it'll be two weeks before the next yep. one drops. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's all we got in terms of the announcements. And... Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at Talk to you next time. All spot time.